Good morning, DC family. Welcome back to the 14th official episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. As always, brought to you by DMV Sports Network, your number one source for sports in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. As always, I am your host with the most, Frank Placco, joined by Brendan and a soon-to-be-introduced special guest. But Brendan, how are you doing? Good, buddy. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. And that to-be-named guest is Mr. Osman, or Oz for short, of Bullets Forever, who we are very appreciative to have on on this Thursday night. Oz, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm the appreciative one. I'm happy to be on with you guys. Yep, absolutely. And uh, just for those who aren't familiar with your work, you know, what's your background as a Wizards fan? And then how long have you been at Bullets Forever for? So I've been at Bullets Forever. I think it's maybe going on on two years now. I actually had a couple pieces out in the last last few weeks. But just full background, I mean, just taking it back until my Bullets fandom started probably in the 80s, late 80s. So I'm I'm dating myself how old I am. We started the late 80s when they were the Bullets, then like kind of the Jeff Malone, Moses Malone days, then it went to the Weber Howard days, then then the Gilbert Arenas days. So been around watching the team for a while, um, got into kind of the whole, uh, the blogosphere, well, first with Wiz of Oz, with, uh, you know, uh, work with Ben Mihic over there. So had a great time over there and then transitioned over to Bullets forever a couple of years ago. And it's been, it's been a fun ride. Yeah, that's awesome. And has blogging always been something you've been interested in, or was it just the combination of that and then, you know, your Wizards fandom just kind of collided uh, at a certain point? Yeah, it kind of just evolved that way. So, you know, I mean, you get to a point, <laughs> point in life, it's work, kids, obligations, and like you need some, you know, I've always been a Bullets fan, Wizards fan, watching games. Uh, Twitter kind of gave me a platform and a way just to, just to connect with more people and talk about the game and talk about the team. And then naturally it just evolved to like uh, jumping into the blog game and, and uh, just sharing kind of my thoughts on the team. And it's been, it's been good. I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. And it uh, seems like you definitely have a relatively strong presence on the Twitter sphere <laughs> as well, which is also cool. Um, so just, you know, to wrap up your background, being a Wizards fan or Bullets fan for so long, what stands out as maybe one of the most memorable moments um, for you as a fan from the team over the past, you know, a couple of decades? So a couple of decades, like one highlight that didn't end up being high. I, I remember, I think I was in high school when the wizard, when the then bullets were able to, <clears throat> were able to trade for, uh, trade for Chris Weber. And then Juwan Howard was holding out. And I remember he, once Weber got traded for, Juwan signed, uh, his rookie contract, Weber showed up and they played like the next day. And like at that point, I even remember like the news. I mean, it wasn't like today when you just kind of get the instant news. They went on to like the 11 o'clock news, which is what people used to watch. And leading story that night was the Wizards or the Bullets trade for Chris Weber and they're a legit championship contender. At that, I mean, that's what people thought because Weber, with what he had done in Michigan, it was just a fun time. At least those couple of years, it didn't end up. It went how things usually end up going here. But it was... Uh, it was at least at that moment, it was real exciting. And then I love the Gilbert Arenas years. Those were, those were great pre-Gerald Wallace. Uh, and then kind of on the, in the So Wizards kind of thing, there have been so many things. Like, you know, like you said, like I was even just talking about Weber and Howard, how it ended, how the Gilbert Arenas, uh, Gilbert Arenas era ended. I even remember I went to, I, went, I had like a partial season ticket plan way back in the day. It was Shaq's first career road game was at Washington. And they were giving out posters of uh, posters of like Shaq 
at the Capitol Center, over here in town, and with like a, a little Purvis Ellison and Harvey Grant in the corner. And it would just be like, and the poster said, getting ready for a Shaq attack. So I kind of, I kind of always remember how like, it's like, yeah, like, you know, it's, you always want, the, want more for the team, but then there's so many moments, it's like, man, we're just kind of like the afterthoughts of the league, you know? Yeah, well, you know, thanks for sharing your background um, as your experience as a Wizards fan. Definitely all memorable moments that you brought up there. Um, shifting forward to present day here, uh, as things currently stand, the Wizards are ninth in the Eastern Conference, heading to the second half of the season with a 20-33 and 33 record. Uh, they kick off their second half tomorrow, or tonight by the time you're listening to this, against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And Brennan and I have, you know, we've shared at length our thoughts about the team, and we had a bit of a second half preview episode um, that dropped earlier this week. But we're going to go more in depth here with this recording. Um, so I'll open it up to both you guys. With the Wizards at 20-33 right now, are they worse, better, or as ex- as good as you would have expected heading into the year uh, where things currently stand? Brendan, you want to take this one? Many players, Bradley, but I didn't think at this point in the season they'd be uh, competing for a playoff spot, which is weird because I'm usually a guy that even when they may have kind of a questionable roster, I tend to overrate them a little bit in terms of um, preseason standings and predictions and all that. So, I mean, to if you'd say, like, you know, in the offseason that they were going to be competing for a playoff spot right now and they were only a few games out and, you know, five games out of seven, I, mean, I probably would have been like, yeah, okay, buddy, sure. But, um, you know, <laughs> And, um, you know, with the tough schedule that they got remaining, and we're going to talk about that more, but, I mean, they're going to have to play even better. So. Yeah. yeah I can... say... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to segue it to you, but you got it. Um, kind of in the same boat. I mean, going into the season, in the summer, there was a lot of talk. You had a lot of uh, kind of the basketball national folks who would, when they would see the Wizards roster and kind of uh, prognosticate or kind of just – Pontificate on what their record would be, they would kind of laugh at the roster. Uh, Stephen A. called it the worst roster around Beal in like the last. I, I can He said something outlandish like worst roster in years uh, that they put together. I mean, you had a lot of a lot of basketball personalities that said this was a terrible roster. They wouldn't even get close to thirty games and so what have you. So I kind of took the took the took the stance of I you know I didn't think they were going to be great. I didn't think they would be like a forty win team or anything like that, but. They weren't terrible after they made all their trades last year, after they kind of reset right around the deadline, got Jabari, got Portis. And it's not like the players that they had to end last season were great, but they were playing, they were able to score, uh, they were able to put up points, and, and Beal was playing at a high level. So I didn't see, I, I didn't see why they couldn't win 30, 32 games, something in that range. I mean, if Beal was the player that, all of the NBA wants to eventually be available in a trade. I mean, he should be good enough to lead a roster in the Eastern Conference to 30, 32 wins. They started off a little slow, so I think, but he's turned it around ever since the ever since the snub, and the team is playing better. So, kind of where they are is where I anticipated. That being said, I'm not, I, but I am. It is positive. I think what they're doing. Yeah, and you know, we talked about before the season, or pretty much everyone talked about how. The win-loss record really wouldn't define this Wizards season. It was more so about other factors, such as player development, creating good culture, 
stuff like that. And I think in that respect, you know, it's hard not to be encouraged by what we've seen um, up and down the roster, especially when you look at guys who have, you know, surprised a bit, someone like Davis Bertans and then Rui's obviously having a, a solid rookie season. But um, all things considered, yeah, I think we're pretty much all on the same page in that respect. So looking forward here to their potential playoff hopes um, as this season goes, we'll get into their actual schedule here in a little bit. But looking at the Eastern Conference standings, they are three games back of the Magic for the eighth seed and five game backs of the Brooklyn Nets, who are in the seventh seed and are currently in overtime against the Sixers as we are recording this. Um, but before we look at those two teams, do you guys see any teams below the Wizards in the standings that could potentially leapfrog them, such as the Chicago Bulls or the Charlotte Hornets or maybe even a team further down like the Pistons? Or do you think that being in the ninth seed, they're pretty safe where they are right now in that respect? I would say they're pretty safe where they're at. The two teams that would have concerned me at this point if they would have better records right now would be Cleveland and Atlanta. But we all know the disaster that's going on in Cleveland right now, But um, and Clint Capella is still injured. So, I mean, if the Cavs had good coaching and the Hawks um, had a healthy big man, I mean, I, I would say those two. But at this point, realistically, um, I guess you could say Chicago, but they're so banged up right now, so I don't see them catching up. So, I mean, realistically, no, I don't see anyone um, passing them. At least that'd be worth it. Now, that being said, the strength of schedule could um, – you know, knock them back a little bit. But that would be because of the Wizards. I don't think it would be because another team is that great or that big of a threat. So, I mean, I guess, no. I mean, I don't think anyone will catch them. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I don't, looking, looking below us in the standings, I mean, Detroit's kind of just thrown in the towel on the season. They got blown out, blown out by the Bucks today. I mean, everyone gets blown out by the Bucks, but they just look like they're playing out the string and are trying to reactively, like, tank the rest of the season as best as they could. Um, Cleveland is a mess right now. New York is New York is is creeping up in wins, but there's nothing like like Brandon said. If if they catch us, it's because something happened to the Wizards, or maybe the strength of schedule, or maybe maybe Beal sprains an ankle or something has to miss a couple of weeks. It's not because I think New York is going to take off and jump ahead of us. The Bulls are not are not healthy and not playing well. They hate their coach. Sadoransky may actually wish that he was back here. I mean, they're just they're just like not. They're, like there's just no one beneath us in the in the in the standings that I think can. Maybe Charlotte is is one game behind right now, but they're three in a loss column, and and even then, I like I think the Wizards are just clearly a better team than the Hornets as well. So no one really behind that I'm worried about. So I think we're pretty entrenched in the ninth spot. It's just if we can make up ground ahead of us. You're not uh, neither of you concerned about a potential Otto Porter revenge tour if he ever gets back on the court. <laughs> miraculously leading the Bulls. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not worried about that one. I mean, if, look, if he gets on the court, like, he's not a bad player, but I mean, he's he, how many games has he played since he's even gotten there? I mean, it's <laughs> the number so small. I mean, he's not going to come around and just, he's not going to show up and just all of a sudden go on a, like, go on a roll there. Even if he comes back, he's going to miss, he's probably going to have to be on some uh, a minutes restriction some load management in Chicago. They, yeah. just, they just look like they're done. <laughs> yeah, they're toast. Yeah, I mean, we're at, we're at the point in the season where Otto Porter qualifies for load management, so that's pretty much all I need to know about uh, the Bulls right now. But uh, looking at the teams ahead of the Wizards in the standings, we, uh, I mentioned two of them, the Magic and the Nets. 
starting with the Magic, who have the 27th hardest remaining schedule. They're 24 and 31, so they haven't been great this season, although they have won their past two games. Um, what is it about the Magic that maybe inspires confidence from you guys that the Wizards could catch them? Or on the flip side, something about the Magic that convinces you, you know, that they're going to hold strong in the eighth spot? Um, I mean, for one, they're a well-coached team, and I think they have solid depth and solid role players. I've always been a fan of Evan Fournier, who always seems to crap on us. So we all know about the talent that Aaron Gordon is. Um, Vucevic has been really good this season and always um, is a little bit of a thorn in our side. So, um, and I'm sure he, and again, these guys are just solid throughout the league. It's not like they just do that stuff against us. Like these are some fundamental, fundamentally sound players. And, um, you know, Terrence Ross off the bench, a uh, high quality scorer. So that has me worried a little bit. And then again, it's not so much of their overall talent that scares me. It's just more of, again, the, the strength of schedule type thing. And so I don't know how many more losses they'll get, but I mean, they're like Oz was saying with Beal and like the sprained ankle. I mean, what if Aaron Gordon sprains an ankle or something, you know, it's just, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see to close out how they play and all that. And, um, you know, do they still continue to play defense? Well, are Vucevic and Fournier still playing at high levels and, um, you know, Markel Fultz, does he play well to close out the season? So um, it's going to be tough. Um, again, my, my main concern is more with the strength of schedule than it is about their talent. So uh, they're going to have to play bad some nights or play not as well as they have been. And it's not like they've been playing well, right? Because they're not, they're not great, but I'm um, just again, the Eastern conferences and the Wizards. Uh, before really this last stretch of however many games now, they were pretty much um, injured the whole season. So they didn't really have a chance to like legit compete with them. But um, I mean, I guess they have a chance to now. Yeah, they're, they're like, it's an interesting team. They don't have like star power. Maybe Fultz eventually develops into that. They just have a bunch of solid, good, decent players, you know, like a lot of pros, no one that's going to like move the needle and kind of just like all like, you know, shift your course to being a title type team, but enough that with an easy strength to schedule, like Brendan said, like they should win enough games the rest of the way to, that it will be difficult to catch them because they're just, they just have a bunch of solid. Okay. He's, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's decent. Like 40 is good. And like, uh, Vucevic is, Vucevic is solid. You know, he's been an all-star before they have a bunch guys like that, that should win them the games that they need to win to ultimately get to the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, I think we'll probably keep it a little interesting. You know, I mean, uh, they are, you know, we'll, we'll hang around for a bit, but it is, it's going to be a tough team to catch. Yeah, and another key factor here is, say the Wizards were to potentially creep up on the Magic in the standings, the tiebreaker is not one that would go in Washington's favor. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think we've beaten the Magic this year, have we? No. Which is weird because we usually sweep them or something or win the series like three to one or something. So this is a little bit weird. Yeah. yeah so four zero for them against us. So if we take out those four wins, they'd be twenty and thirty one. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a little bit of a head scratcher. But um, so then if you jump ahead of the Magic, then you have the Brooklyn Nets, who are really have just been an interesting team this year. They're three games below five hundred, and it was announced today that Kyrie Irving, who's Probably, if not the one of the most polarizing players in basketball at this point, he's set to miss the remainder of the season with a shoulder injury. But the Nets have shown, you know, that 
they're a competent team with or without Kyrie Irving in the lineup, at least to an extent. Um, so how much do you guys think that the absence of Irving is going to affect them down the stretch? And do you think that something like that could potentially cause them to drop in the standings? Or, I mean, looking at their strength of schedule, they have the 17th remaining, 17th hardest remaining schedule. So the right middle of the pack in that respect. But what are your guys' thoughts on Brooklyn? Um uh, by the way, real quick, it looks like Philly's going to beat them tonight, so the Wizards will be at um, four and a half games behind them before um, the game against the Cavs tomorrow. But um, unfortunately, I don't think the Kyrie Irving news is going to hinder them one way or another. Uh, Dama, who we had on a couple of times, tweeted at me earlier when I mentioned it and said how it could help. But, you know, he said, you know, they, they played pretty well without him. And I mean, that's true. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie's a solid player, so it doesn't hurt i guess that in terms of the wizards it won't hurt that that he's you know not on the floor um but i certainly don't think that if he was back that they're gonna be like light years better or anything like that but i also don't think that it's gonna make them like that much worse so i don't yeah i mean i I think they're gonna just be how they've been the whole season just a, a solid team yeah, uh, kind of, uh, kind of agree. They say the Kyrie factor. There, people have been debating all season if they're better or not with or without Kyrie, and and we've seen like two years. Or and, and for Wizards fans, they've been we've been following the whole Kyrie versus Wall thing for years. We've always been kind of skeptical as to Kyrie's actual impact on winning versus kind of the highlight plays that he puts together. You know, I mean, he, look, he has great handles. He puts up he puts up some amazing highlights and some great individual performances. You can't take away that game seven shot that he had against Golden State. But at the same time, we've seen time and time again, he just doesn't seem to impact winning unless he's playing next to LeBron. So um, I don't know what, the, what negative impact that, that might have on the Nets. I think one way it could is that while he's not really helping them, it is just less firepower that they have. And will guys like Dinwiddie and Levert, will they eventually wear down because they have to carry so much load? I mean, we've seen that in the past year with Beal over the past couple of years. There are times where where teams just blitz Beal and late in the season, he just didn't have any help. You kind of wonder, um, is it going to get to that point with Brooklyn where where Levert and or Dinwiddie are just, are, have so much just pressure on them that eventually they kind of just begin to fade. Their strength of schedule, like Brendan like Ren Frank, like you guys were saying, is in the middle of the pack. We play them twice, so if we're going to catch them, we could impact that a lot by winning those two games against them. Mm-hmm. Four games in the loss column is going to be it's, – it's a hurdle, but, you know, the tiebreaker's still up for grabs. So, you know, that one could go our way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting that you brought up um, the remaining games the Wizards have against them on the schedule. I was actually just about to mention that. So uh, coming up on the 26th of February, the Wizards host Brooklyn. Uh, It's a Wednesday night game. And then later, uh, March 18th, they travel to Brooklyn. So given all that we've talked about, how imperative is it that the Wizards win both of these games or at least, you know, split one and one? But if they were to drop, both those games and go zero and two against Brooklyn is that a nail in the coffin kind of thing, or or where do you guys stand on that? I mean, we talked about last episode how I think seventeen of their twenty nine remaining games are against teams that are currently in playoff positioning. So, um, I mean, they're going to have to win the games that they're supposed to win, and then some. I mean, especially if you talk it about catching a team like Brooklyn. Now, that being said, they don't have to go out there and win every game, but um, they have to 
continue to do what we've seen them do the last few games here, which is be more active defensively. Uh, they definitely need to rebound the ball better than they have from everyone. Um, you know, we had Jerome Robinson, I think, had nine rebounds that one game, either against the um, – that might have been against the Grizzlies, I think, or it was the game after that anyway. Um, but we have to have those kind of numbers from our big men. You know, Thomas Bryant's probably going to be back um, tomorrow – well, tonight, again, by the time you guys listen to this. So we're going to need some better rebounding from him, Mo Wagner. Uh, we don't know how the minutes are going to play out there with Mahimi. But anyway, everyone has to rebound the ball better. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree there. Um, it's – yeah, it's it, – it, like, what the Wizards really have to do – is is win some games away from home. I think they're going to take care of business at home. I don't want to jinx the game tomorrow against Cleveland. I, I do think it's, it's, tomorrow's game is one of those weird ones. It's like, okay, the Wizards a lot of times, historically, and even this season at times, when you think, okay, they're on, like, I don't, the Golden State game is a good example. I was like, I think they'd won two games in a row heading into that, and there was a little playoff talk at that point also. Then all of a sudden they laid an egg against Golden State. So now we've had a week, you know, the all-star layoff and, and they have a game that's very winnable tomorrow against Cleveland, but Cleveland's coming in with, uh, with Andre Drummond, Tristan Thompson. I'm assuming they're all playing a new coach is that's kind of a trap game coming up. Can the wizards take care of business at home where they haven't taken care of business. And then like, like Brennan was saying, they have to win some games they're not expected to win. That's mainly going to come on the road. So I think getting that game against Brooklyn, getting the tiebreaker over them by winning both, if they're going to catch that team specifically is really important. I yeah, don't like and... the matchup tomorrow. Like the the game tomorrow, the, and I've said this a couple of times. Like this is a trap game, and I honestly like. And we'll get into predictions and all that, but I don't think that they're going to win tomorrow, just because I don't think they're going to be able to rebound the basketball, and the Cavs are going to have second chance points like it's nobody's business. But that's my again. It comes back to rebounding. Like people think that you know sometimes it's not a big deal, and and I know that Knicks game that we won, they still out rebounded us by like twenty, but. They're not going to be able to do that on a night-to-night basis. You're not going to see his teams as bad as the Knicks. So they're going to have to pick up the rebounding um, as in these last stretch of games. And tomorrow is a good example of a team that um, is good at rebounding. Again, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, Andre Drummond. Like, they have guys that can rebound the ball. Larry Nance. So they got to get it done. Mm-hmm. And they also have uh, possibly the interim, best interim head coach of all time in J.B. Vickerstaff. Yes. Who I guess is, I, I don't know if I read it right, but I guess he's being promoted to full-time coach. I don't think he has the interim tag, but. Yes, that was the plan the whole time. Yeah, but that guy, that guy's name is, I don't know how many teams he's coached for, but it seems like he's trying to coach for every team <laughs> in the NBA. So. Does he get a raise every time he gets an intern job? I hope he does. He should, but yeah. I doubt Cleveland would be the team to do that for him. But, uh, yeah, so you talked about the Cleveland game a little. Just looking ahead further into the month, after Cleveland, the Wizards travel to Chicago, and then they return home for back-to-back games against the Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets, who we mentioned briefly. And then they conclude the month with a road matchup, the first game of a road trip, which we'll talk about here in a little, um, against the Utah Jazz. So you have two games against some of the bottom feeders in the East with the Cavs and the Bulls, and then three tougher matchups against the Bucks, Nets, and Utah. So what are your guys' thoughts on on this stretch right here? And, you know, can the Wizards conceivably steal a game against one of those playoff teams that I mentioned? 
They can, and then they also have to take care of business against the Cavs and the Bulls if we're talking about keeping their um, playoff hopes alive. Like, they have to go 3-2 and two in that stretch. You'd like 4-1. and one. Um, I think that the Jazz and the Nets are both winnable games. Um, and I guess Mike Conley's still out, right, for Utah? I think, I think so. At least he was prior to the All-Star break. I don't know if he's going to be back after the break. I'll look yeah. it up real quick while you're talking. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, so ideally you would like four and one, but like realistically, like they have to go three and two. That they cannot go two and three or one and four or anything like that. They got to take care of Cleveland and Chicago coming up here. Right. You go two and three, you're kind of hovering in the same range. You haven't really made up any ground, and you're still going to be well, four games out. Like when you're when this whole stretch is done, and then you'll be you'll be heading west, and who knows what happens out there. Uh, getting this Cleveland game is just extremely critical. That you get that you have some momentum coming out of the break. And then, you know, then you can see maybe you steal, uh, you know, the Brooklyn game's winnable. That's a big game like we talked about before. And then between Milwaukee and Utah, that, that's tough. I'm not going to say you could steal one, but if they could win Cleveland, Chicago, and Brooklyn out of these five games coming up, um, that, that's probably the best you could hope for. Uh, if I were to guess, I'd say they might probably end up two and three. But, you know, if you're if – you're, if you really want to just say, hey, this the formula to get to the playoffs is probably three and two winning those three games. Right, yeah. I think that's obviously best case scenario for the next five games coming up. And uh Brennan, just to briefly talk about you mentioned Mike Conley. Uh looks like he was out um right before the all-star break, but I don't think it was anything too serious. I think they were just being cautious on back to backs. And it is about a week away from today when the Wizards will play. So it seems okay. like there might be a decent chance that Conley will play. But regardless Going to Utah on a Friday night, not not a favorable situation. Uh, um, hopefully, Rudy go Rudy Gobert again. Like, a lot of these games against these playoff teams, <laughs> we got to hope that some of these guys are taking the night off, man. Because if everyone's playing full against us, like the Lakers and like the Bucks, like man, we're gonna get fried. Yeah, didn't Utah beat us by what was it fifty? Was that last year or the year before that? Over there? I think what it was. Really just, it feels like yesterday. Feels like yeah, yesterday. it feels like yesterday. Yeah, we, we could use some load management from these teams down the stretch. So if they want to do us a favor. But uh, luckily, after Utah, the road gets a little bit t- a little bit easier, I should say. Uh, the next three games on that road trip are at Golden State, at Sacramento, and then at Portland. And, you know, obviously, Ooh. as we get deeper here in the schedule, it's hard to project because you know, we don't know with injuries and, and other factors going on. But just on the surface from where things stand now, um, could the Wizards potentially win two or, or possibly all three of those games? I mean, obviously not an easy task, but Golden State, definitely a winnable game. And Sacramento-Portland, not easy wins by any stretch of the imagination. But what do you guys think? Again, I think if we're talking about you need to keep your playoff hopes alive, so this needs to happen. They need to go 2-1 and one in that stretch. And hopefully you can get 3-0, but Portland's going to be fighting uh, for that eight seed with Memphis. So Portland's going to come out and um, playing hard every single night. To, you would think they would to close out the season, and uh, again, as they try and get that playoff spot. So 2 on one realistically, they have to get it done. They have to be two of those teams. Yeah, we've had actually some good success in Portland the last few years. Uh, Markeith hit a game winner there. Beal had a 50-point game. So we've had a, we've had a good run there, but it's going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, stopping Lillard is going to be, you know, that's... I mean, I know he was hurt before the All-Star game, but by then he should definitely be back. Um, it's just one of those things where those games are winnable, but like with their 7-20 and 20 road record, it's hard to really pen, like put in pen any game on the road being a win. 
uh, except for maybe when we go to New York. But like, you know, so it's just one of those things where, yes, they're all winnable, but they got to just they got to go out and do it, you know? Yep. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the road factor. So even a game against like Golden State, where on paper that should be a blowout win for the Wizards, the fact that they have been, you know, not so great on the road, it's it's possibly not as easy as it might seem, you know? Right. But they definitely do need to steal at least two of those, I think. But if all goes according to plan and then laying in all the games that we just laid out, I mean, they would have won, what, five out of the the next eight or nine games. So, I mean, that's that wouldn't be a bad start to the All-Star break, right? To the no, second half of the year. That's ideal. It has to happen, though, if they want to stay in these um, in these playoff odds and all that. Because, again, if they come out and they win, like, if they go two and three in that stretch and then they lose, like, two out of three games in that little road stretch there that we just talked about, I mean, they're done. You can't take them serious anymore after that. Th- these yeah. next ten games or so, are going to tell us a lot about if we should be looking at more draft prospects or if we should be getting ready to play Giannis or um, whoever the second seed is going to be, Jimmy Butler or whatever. So, um, I mean, these next, again, these next 10 games and, and these first two games coming out, like I said, I mean, they are crucial. They're so crucial. Right, and I think even these, like, these, like actually pointing, putting them into like a 10-game bucket is a good point. Because you touched on it earlier with the centers, with, with Brian coming back, with, what are they going to do with their rotations? I, don't, I can't imagine them taking Jan out of the lineup because of the defense he's been playing. So maybe they give, they stick with him in the lineup for the next 10 games or so, see what they do record-wise. And if they're three or two, two or three games out or right in the mix, they keep going with it. If they're five games out with, you know, with like 19 to go, something that's just going to be very difficult to kind of, uh, uh, diff- difficult to, to make up. Then they pivot back and just kind of just give all the minutes to Brian Wagner, kind of take Jan out of the rotation and start start giving the young guys a lot more time and maybe do do some low management on the field also. So these ten games are huge. If they want to, Bill wants to go on a playoff run. It, here, these ten games, go do something with it. Yeah, and like with Wagner and everything, like, he's the guy you can't take out of the rotation, in my opinion. So it's either Mahinmi or Bryant that's going to be the starter because Wagner, I think, in my opinion has been the best center on the roster overall this year and has oh, agreed. Uh, sure. produced the most and all that. So you can't take Wagner out, but it's just going to come down to um, does Brooks value the toughness inside or does he want to be able to um, have a little bit a little bit of flexibility in what he can do offensively with Bryant. So, um, you know, we'll see. Um, me personally, I would plug Bryant in right away, and we know that he may be on a minutes restriction and all that um, once he comes back, and that's fine, again, because I have no issue with, playing Wagner and then Rui I think can play the five um in some stretches even though I would not really prefer that but mm-hmm. um you know he can do it so it's going to be one or the other uh but I would guess it's going to continue to be Mahimi like you said because I, I just don't see how again they with their recent success how they're just going to come in and be like Jan we know that you've been here for four years and all that. And, um, you know, you, you've played really well this year and you've earned it and you've worked your tail off getting back from injury. So, yeah, we're going to put you on the bench and play the 21-year-old kid. Like, that's just not happening. And I know you can make the argument like, well, Thomas Bryant just got paid all that money. And that's like, yeah, but Jan Mahimi makes more. Yeah, and like, they, it's also where they have, they have to kind of uh, walk the line a little bit carefully with Beal. Beal's here, he's fine, but like there have been times where he's expresses like his unhappiness with how the team's been playing. The guy wants to win. They're no way, to keep really? Happy and they're trying to, they're, yeah, they're trying to 
Well, they're, they're, they're trying to keep him happy, and to keep him happy, you got to put your best foot forward. And if Jan is playing great defense or good defense, going taking him out when they're three games out, I can't see that sitting well with Beal. You know what I mean? But, see, the other thing with that could be, though, because Beal was a big reason, I believe, that Bryant was re-signed, because Beal is a very big fan of Bryant. That's like, true, he yeah. loves his energy and all that, so... Again, it's just uh, we don't know what they're going to do, but Scott Brooks, um, I mean, up until recently has shown that he doesn't know how to manage a rotation um, give it, with the bodies that he's had. So I honestly have no clue, and I don't have any faith that he's going to um, do, I think, what's in the best interest of the team. Like, I think he's going to continue playing on Mahimi again. I'll play Bryant. So, but we'll see. Yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting question. So if you guys had to put your... Put your head coaching suit on for a sec, or your head coaching cap, if you will, over these next eight to ten games, which you know we've outlined as the most important stretch of the season by far. Outside of the center position, here we'll start with the point guard position, point guard and shooting guard position. How would you handle the rotation there? Um, obviously, you have Ish Smith and Bradley Beal starting, but behind them, how would you allocate minutes? You got it. Uh, I think I would go with, uh, you know, you got to go with what they've been doing recently. Ish, as a starter, has been fine. I mean, this has been great all season. He should have been starting over IT for a long time. I mean, I love the pace that he plays with. I love how he just gets into the paint, probes, gets, comes back out of the paint, then goes back into the paint. He's, he's been much better, like much more fun to watch than I ever anticipated when they signed. So his role is fine. You got Shabazz, uh, who's in here, Shabazz Napier. He's kind of jumped in, and he's contributed pretty much right away. Uh, I know there's kind of a sentimental, well, he's not going to be here next year, so maybe we give it to someone else who's going to be here. But they have Wall coming back next year, and Wall hasn't played much in the last three seasons. So, and, and the Wizards don't have like a young developmental point guard, developmental point guard in the system anymore. So why can't there be a role for, for Shabazz Napier next year as a third point guard who could also slide his way up in the rotation in the games that Wall doesn't play next year if there's any load management with him or minutes restrictions. So there's an opportunity for him there. So I would, I would go with what they're doing at the point guard position because they don't really have any other options. Anyways, Beal at the shooting guard, and then, um, and then you gotta find, you might have, you got to find out what you have with Robinson or at least get an idea. So play him for now. If he plays poorly, then put Garrison Matthews in. Yeah, um, I, I like Ish Smith as the... Um as the starter and then Napier as the backup. And, um, you know, I know that people could say, well, give his, give his minutes to someone else who's going to be here. I mean, okay, but no other point guard on the roster is going to have any money guaranteed for next year. Like, I guess um, the other guard that you could go to is Gary Payton, who I wouldn't hate, but I would still rather play um, Napier. And then we talk about Beal, um, starter, obviously, and then Jerome Robinson, who – well, look, they traded for him for a reason. They're going to see what they have in him. But depending on the matchup, I wouldn't hate seeing Gary Payton. Like if there is an elite wing on the perimeter that they want to use to close out quarters or that they need in the middle of a quarter or whatever, then I could see Gary Payton uh, getting some minutes there because I think he is by far the best perimeter defender on the team. So um, I wouldn't hate that. Uh, but yeah, I would say if they're going off a of base 10-man rotation, Ishan Beal, and then Napier and uh, Robinson. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much how things are going to play out, at least on paper. And then if you look at the small forward position, 
It's basically been uh, Isaac Bonga has been starting at the three. I still don't know if I'm saying his name right, but yes, he's been starting at the three, and then you have Troy Brown Jr. coming off the bench. So is there any tinkering you do with, with that kind of one-man punt? Excuse me, one-two punch? Because you have players like Peyton, who has played a little bit of three since he's been playing this season. Um, a little undersized, obviously, but he can slide up occasionally. And then I know the Clippers use Jerome Robinson on the wing, kind of as de facto small forward at times. Um, can you see maybe that kind of playing out in certain situations? Or do you think it's just Bonga and then Troy Brown uh, pretty much? I think, yeah, I think you go with Bonga and Troy Brown, the kind of what, what it's been. Bonga's gotten better. You know, he's beginning to knock down the corner three. And you see flashes. He doesn't get a ton of minutes. He starts, but he, he gets like his 20 minutes a game. And he's pretty effective. Like he, he knows his role. Like when he gets a rebound, he's beginning to take off and using his the ball handling he does have to kind of push it up court. He hits the corner three, plays defense when like he's effective when he doesn't foul. And then Troy's, Troy's all along this season has been better coming off the bench than he has as a starter. So I wouldn't really make a change there. I kind of like him in that bench. He's been much more effective in that role where, look, if he's with the starters, he's probably third or fourth in line to touch the ball, which, and if he's, he's not really an off-the-ball player, he needs to at least be a secondary ball handler or secondary playmaker. So kind of the way they have it set up with Bonga with the starters where they're not necessarily looking for offense from the three. And then on the second unit, Brown can handle the ball more than he would with the starters. So I think the way it's laid out is pretty yeah, um, you couldn't have said it any better. Those are my exact thoughts. Uh, you know, Bonga's gotten a lot better, but again, when you have Ish Smith and Bradley Beal in the starting lineup and Rui, uh, all those guys are going to need the rock. So in the second unit, it's like, yeah, you have Napier, but Napier is a good spot-up shooter as well, so you can have doing, him doing some things off-ball and kind of let Troy Brown be in that ball handler at times. Then we know that uh, Jerome Robinson, um, you know, is still a little bit of a rocky player, even though he's had some... Uh, some positive moments, but um, we want someone that's going to be able to set him up and get him some easy shots to get him in a rhythm. So I like it how it is. Don't touch it. Um, Bong is starting and Brown off the bench. Yeah. And then, you know, moving along, if you look at the power forward position, obviously you have Rui Hachimura entrenched as the starter with Davis Bertans as the backup and de facto six men score off the bench. My question for you guys is, Moving down the stretch here over these next eight to ten games, how often do you think Brooks should play Bertans and Rui at the same time? Because we've seen that play out throughout the season where, you know, it's been mixed results. I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but it seems like at times their most effective lineups, at least offensively, have come with Rui and Berton sharing the floor at the same time. Do you think that we're going to see that over the next, you know, eight to ten games or... Do you think it'll be one of them's playing and the other isn't? Um, Brendan or Oz, whoever wants to take this one first. Brendan, you got it. Sorry, man. I was um, oh. trying to charge my phone there, and I got to unplug it and plug my, uh, my headphones back in. Anyway, so um, I still like. Obviously, Rui's going to be the starter and Bertans off the bench. I like that. Um, you can still play them together at times. So, um, like, if they want to go to close out a quarter, like, they can just leave Bonga out and play um, Bertans in that instance, and you can have, like, Bertans at three, Rui at the three, whatever you want to do. But um, like, I, I like the starting lineup as a whole and the bench lineup as a whole. I'm still not against Bertans getting more of the minutes um, over Rui because I think, again, his shooting is so valuable. 
Um, but I like the 10 man rotation, how it is currently. Yeah. I agree. I, you got to find out if they could play together a little bit. So you don't need it to be exclusive or like a, you know, substantial amount of time, but a few minutes here, a few minutes at the end of the half, a few minutes at the end of the game would definitely be, be beneficial also for finding out what they are, what they could planning ahead for next year. Cause their plan is clearly to resign Breton. So if they want to resign Breton's Rui is definitely part of their plans. You're going to eventually have to have some overlap in some of the minutes. So in those circumstances, do you, can you go small and play Rui at the five? Or do you go big and kind of stick both of them in the, in the front court together with another center? I think uh, what Brandon mentioned is a kind of a good idea. And how they do play, sometimes Bonga starts a half and doesn't come back in. So you could go to Bonga, you could play Troy Brown at the small forward. And then if, you, if both Bertans and Rui are both playing well and you think it's a matchup that, it's a matchup that you could get them both on the court together, Close the half with, with Rui at the three or Bertans at the three and the other one at the four uh, with, with the center. And then you don't have to go back to Bonga to close the half, and which, is, which is, I think, fine. Um, if you're going to go to Rui at the five, it just has to be the right matchup because Bertans isn't a great rebounder. Rui is rebounded a little better since coming back from his injury, um, but he's still not a strong rebounder. So it has to be the right matchup. Otherwise, they could kind of just get pummeled on the boards. Uh, to end a game so if it's a team that's playing small like hey look we're gonna play houston i think again if we play them there's really no reason to have a five out there on the floor. so you could play Rui at the five against houston and then you could play bertans at the four you could play gary payton at the five against houston <laughs> honestly <laughs> and you'd probably be fine yeah, yeah i mean <laughs> it's definitely going to be interesting to see i mean it seems like the rotation is basically set in stone as things move forward, but you never know, you know, what will happen with injuries and whatnot. So hopefully Scott Brooks um, develops some sort of cohesion and a plan for uh, what he plans to do moving forward. But let's say over the next 10 games, like we mentioned, the Wizards don't do so hot and they're five and five or four and six or what have you, and their playoff hopes are slowly fading. What does that mean, not just for the rest of the season, but, you know, moving forward? Because at that point, the question becomes, you know, should you continue chasing the eighth seed or should you maybe not tank, so to speak, but start looking ahead towards draft positioning? And, you know, that's a position that the Wizards are no stranger to over the past few years. It seems like we end up having this conversation after each season. So what are your guys' thoughts on that, assuming that, or in the scenario where they don't do so well um, over this next stretch? Um, again, I think when it's all said and done, the, the tone that they're going to set is going to come from these first 8 to 10 games. If, if it's not looking so hot, then I think that they just got to come uh, to realization that they're not going to be competing for a playoff spot this year, which is fine. And I think that you can make an argument that at this point in the season, given where they are, that this is sort of an overachievement for them. Um, again, more of so looking at the standings. Um, so, I mean, if they start losing, it's, I mean, well, so Wizards, this is what kind of was supposed to happen. So, I mean, you can't really be too mad at it. I mean, as a fan who wants them to win, like, yeah, I'll still be irritated. But we can't say again that some of the stuff that they've done this season and given that Tommy Shepard said before the season, do not be looking at them to win basketball games. So, I mean, you can't be any more black and white than that about the situation. So I, I, I wouldn't be too mad at it, um, you know, if they come out and, you know, lose like six out of ten games or whatever. Like, you just can't get caught up in that because, again, this isn't what the season was about. Yeah, I mean, um, 
these games, like you said, these, these this next stretch is important. So, again, if it goes, if it doesn't go the way they want it to go, the real question that is, and the young guys are already in the rotation. Robinson, Brown, Lee, um, you know, Wagner, Brian's going to fit in somehow. They're already, they're already in the rotation. If they are, like, say, 15, 20 games left in the season and five, six games out and kind of are waving the white flag, then at that point, if Mahimi is playing over the next 10 games, you take him out, you give Bryant, Bryant and Wagner a heavy look, maybe alternate who starts to get a good look at who might be a starter. Although I think Wagner's really a, a really good backup five, like you mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah. Um, but you have to find out, can Bryant defend at the five? Is he strong enough to defend at the five? Because if he's not, that may be something you have to address in the offseason. Is Jerome, can yeah. Jerome Robinson play? Is he really a, someone they could pencil in to be Beal's backup at the two? Um, you get you just have to find out these things so you can start play, then because you got to start planning ahead. And maybe at that point later in the season you give Troy Brown another audition in the starting lineup because really if you're projecting forward uh, with the draft and with the mid level and whatever they're going to be able to do in the off season, you got to you got to figure out what your situation is at the five and you got to figure out what your situation is at the three. My guess is the one and the two with Wall and Beal and the four with three is already kind of set in stone and they have a good bench. The, format, the, the kind of the makings of a good bench, assuming they keep batons and some of these young guys can continue to evolve. But your two holes in the starting lineup, or not even holes, question marks in the starting lineup with the three and the five. So, again, if this next stretch doesn't go well and you're, not, you're on the outside looking at the playoffs, then you got to focus in on those two spots and figure out what you actually have. Yep, I agree. Um, this is another reason I want to see Bryant get more minutes is because um, we got to find out like what his development mm-hmm. exactly is going to be. If he's just going to be a guy who is a below average rebounder, um, occasionally gets, I, I don't even say below average, um, but, but he's, cause he gets some double doubles and puts up some numbers there. But I mean, like overall, just like he's not as strong as he should be inside, um, his interior presence and in weak. And in the NBA now, like you have to have like some sort of force in the middle if you're going to be. Um, competitive, and I feel like really with Wall and Beal, when they've when the Wizards have had their best teams, it's been like when they have a guy like Gortat in the middle who is just like maybe not a good shot block necessarily, but he's a good rebounder. Like he's strong inside, he's not weak. They need Bryant to kind of not be exactly what Gortat was, but like they need him to be stronger inside than what he's been, and he needs to be a better presence. And I mean, part of the rave about Bryant was that he can hit his outside shot, and his outside shot has just, it's not been there this year. Um, mm-hmm. And it hasn't progressed like we all hoped it would. So um, I, I want to see more of him to see how he's going to close out the season and see if we can maybe get more of an idea about his weaknesses. Because again, like I said, if, if he continues to play like this and the Wizards have good enough draft positioning or whatever, I mean, maybe you look at trading him to um, free up some cap. I mean, again, the ideal situation at that point would be if the Wizards, um, well, maybe not ideal, but ideal if they lose. If they continue to lose and they, for some reason, shoot up the lottery and they can draft James Wiseman, then they can trade Bryant to save some cap. But again, this is why we got to see more Bryant, in my opinion, to close out the season because you don't want to go into next season or whatever with a guy making um, $9 million, you know, but not knowing. Yeah, not know what he is, right. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's clearly a fine line between, you know, trying to contend for a playoff spot while at the same time emphasizing the development of your young young players. But I think this year, more so in years past, 
the Wizards roster is constructed where you can do both at the same time because, yeah, they're, they're trying to make the eighth seed, but the majority of their rotation is full of young players who are presumably going to be sticking around for the long haul. So I think, you know, that goes back to Tommy Shepard and the job well, the job well done that he's done in, you know, building a roster of young players um, that can also conceivably compete for the eighth seed at the same time. So, you know, we'll just have to see what happens. But um, Brandon and I, on our last episode, we shared our thoughts on where we think the Wizards would actually end up finishing when it's all said and done. And I know neither of us were too optimistic, but Brandon, I'll let you go ahead and add on more here if you want. But Oz, I am curious, you know, what's your ultimate prediction? Do you think that the Wizards are going to end up snapping that eighth seed or, or do you think they're going to miss out on the postseason? I think, I think they'll make a little bit of a run. <laughs> I'd like to cat. It's like, it's like a funny caveat because it's just one single game. If they win tomorrow, I think they'll go on a little bit of a run and make it interesting. If they lose tomorrow, I don't think that's going to happen. It's really, it, it's, it's funny that it's just coming down to one game versus Cleveland that I'm basing that off of. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, ultimately though, either way, I don't think they, they close the gap entirely. The Nets are a well-coached team. Dinwiddie and Laverta, good players. They'll they'll have enough to win enough games. I think we'll end up in that thirty-two win territory, which you know, which is still a good second half of the season for us. And it would still be, uh, it would be, it would mirror last year's record, but it would just, it would be much better than was what was anticipated for this team. And Beal would be disappointed, you know, that we didn't make the playoffs. But ultimately, that would be seen viewed as a successful season. I just don't think. Uh, with the, losing the tiebreaker to Orlando and Brooklyn already having kind of a bit of a head start from there, it's just going to be tough to totally make up that ground, considering how we play on the road. If we had, if our schedule was more tilted to a home schedule the rest of the way, I'd maybe say differently, but it's about 50-50 home and away, so it's going to be difficult to make up the ground. Yeah. Um, well, I love what they've done this season, and I really would like to say that they have a shot well, let me say, I have a better shot because I think that they have a shot. But again, just just the strength of schedule thing is really um, it just really has me thinking that they're they're not going to have enough to get over that hump to either get seven or even eight. So um, as much as I would want them to and believe me, I do want them to. I'm not pro tanking. I hate tanking. I hate losing. Um but I just don't think that they're going to have enough in the end to do it. I mean, I mean, the difficult again. You got to watch these first ten games. If they come out here and you know they end with like six or seven wins or whatever, or maybe even five for you know just staying five hundred, which is better than where they are right now. I mean, I think that you have something there, but um, like you, you, they got to win tomorrow and they got to beat Chicago to start off things right, and then. Um, I think you can be a little bit more positive about where they are, but I, you can't lose one of these two first games here. Yeah. And even then, like, this is still, it's still a good thing because I don't think anyone in the summer would have guessed that in where, where we are end of February post officer game, that our young players would have the opportunity to play heavy minutes in meaningful basketball games. And that's what they're getting. Like people could say, Oh, well, it's the East. That's why they're in this, but that doesn't matter. It's still a meaningful game that they're going to be playing over the next few weeks. They're playing meaningful mm-hmm. basketball, playing, that it's not the 150 point games that they were playing to start the season. It's games right. with consequences. So they'll have something to play for. It'll be good to see how some of the young guys respond. Like, do they tighten up? Do they execute? Do they do they get sharper on defense? If they could do those things, that's a good sign for next year. I'm more concerned again, and I'm, everyone knows that 
pays attention to anything that I have to say, but I, I, I really am concerned about Scott Brooks um, at times and with his coaching. And, like, I hope that at some point, like, this becomes a message in the locker room. Like, and like you said, like, yeah, they're playing meaningful games now, but if you look back at the schedule and even recently, they've lost some games that they had no business losing, so they cannot afford to do that. Uh, to close out the season if they do want to make the playoffs. Like, this is something that has to be addressed. They need to be going over film. They need to be um, going over shell drill if they have to, to go over defense. Like, they got to – he and his coaching staff have to find a way to get through to these players and these young players to close out the season if they have any chance. It starts with him. Yeah. And, like, the Brooks conversation is – it's an interesting one because there have been a lot of issues that I think a lot of us have had with how he coaches the teams. In particular, is like rotation, kind of some of the some of the decisions he makes. There. Um, outside of sixteen and seventeen, the last two years, he hasn't really done anything that I would call impressive. But this year, like again, if they're playing better than what people expected, you can't really be too mad at him. But then you have things like the IT thing, which, like, okay, if you didn't start him, how many more do you have? So there's right. even though they're over, even though they they're achieving, that's a question out there. But even with that decision, was there more in play there? Was there something from front office down about playing IT? Because the whole thing was just. Yeah, it was it was a weird situation. And Brandon and I have talked about it a lot, but it's hard to see. It's hard to say for sure what was going on behind the scenes or but it definitely seems like there was at least a guaranteed playing time for him when he signed the contract. And obviously he talked, you know, the Wizards and IT himself talked about how this was an opportunity for him to turn his career around. But he ended up starting almost every game. And even when it was clear that he was acting as more of a detriment than a positive to the team's chances of winning. But, uh, you know, the IT era is in the rearview mirror. And all we can do is look ahead to the future. Um, anything else you guys wanted to add on the Wizards season or we think we covered everything so pretty much? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, so I know we talked off air about potentially, you know, getting into some draft prospect and college basketball talk. Um, I think it'd be best served if we save that for another episode and then we have an excuse to uh, drag you back onto the pod, Oz, if that works. Yeah, that works, man. I look, I, yeah, I'd love to join you guys again. Talk some uh, talk some college hoops and talk some of the uh, some of the draft prospects. It's because of kind of how the season was laid out. It's something that I've been paying more attention to or attention to early on this season. Um, so yeah, definitely that'll be a fun topic. Love to be back on and talk about it. Yeah, great. Well, it sounds like a plan. Uh, before we head out, do you want to tell the listeners where they can find your work? Yeah, so I've been, I'm right for both forever. I've had a couple pieces out in the last few weeks. Um, Last week, I wrote about how, what they're doing, kind of their push, how it's a good thing, and, like, these are, it's progress. I know this, like, this, basically, it was about, a, you know, a lot of what I write about is, like, a reaction to what I tweet about or what I see on Twitter. One of the current conversations on Twitter has been, oh, well, even if they make the playoffs, what's next? They'll just be like they were before. Like, they'll, they'll be stuck at, like, the fourth or fifth seed or whatever. Like, number one, to me, that's, like, a conversation that, like 28 of the other, like 25 teams in the NBA have to, because, you know, only like a handful really win. But at the same time, they have options. They're like, when Ernie left or when Ernie was asked to leave, they had pretty much nothing except for. <clears throat> now you have a lot of young players on rookie deals who 
you know, they're showing something. And, the, the, you know, the, the coverage a lot, a lot more for months ago. They have options. They got Beal on, on an extension. So they have options in different directions that they could go. So I wanted to touch on that, touch on what different directions they could go in, how they're not boxed in, but how they are moving forward, even though they haven't all of course. So I wrote about that last week. I talked to um, I talked to uh, to Robert Flum, who covers covers for uh, Clips Nation and a couple other sites mm-hmm. out there, and got some information. Just wanted to get learn a little bit more about Jerome Robinson. So part two, part one was out today. Part two. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I know we appreciate your work. I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but what is your Twitter handle? Oh, it's uh, it's at ob 2 jai for don't really know how to put that one together. It's out there. That's that's the name. Gotcha. Slightly important for all the things you're mentioning. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, you know, hey, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll definitely look to get you back on in the future. Uh, Brendan, Twitter handle is Threesus Trice. There you go, and you can follow me at FrankJP0. Be sure to check out our podcast Twitter account as well at W-O-G-P underscore podcast. Thanks again to Oz for coming on, and we will catch you guys next episode. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.